Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2,194 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. Today we continue our extended series of messages I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This message is week 43, and our final week about the good news according to John the Apostle. John has a unique style and narrative as we walk with him through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. And we do appreciate everyone being here today. And as promised, this week's going to be a very short message. Part of that, as I want to say, is God's providence because he brought us to the last lesson of John. But these two verses stand alone. And also... Since we're having our family Christmas this weekend, it gives us just a few extra minutes to be with our kids and our grandkids all together. So, Now, last week's message in our series of John, the good news according to John the Apostle, we looked at his, our weaknesses and his strength. And we ended with a focus of coming to terms with your calling. And we concluded that we must fully understand that all work is kingdom work. There's no difference between secular and sacred. There's nothing more special about speaking the Word of God from the pulpit than there is speaking the Word of God from your work or with your neighbors. All work is kingdom work. All work is holy when you're Christ followers. And after a year of studying this book of John, I just pray that you've enjoyed it because I certainly have learned a lot and have enjoyed preparing the messages but we've arrived at our last message. And like everything that ends, there's a bit of sadness with it. We don't like things to end. We like things to continue on. But I think we end appropriately with John's message today. We only have two verses, and it's actually on page 1689 of your Pew Bible. I was off a page according to what I put in the bulletin. So 1689, John chapter 21, verses 24 and 25. So follow along as I read. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. Therefore, we know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. Now, before our daughter Janet and her husband Rowan were married, they requested that the fathers conduct the wedding ceremony for them. So I went through the process of certification to be able to perform marriages in all states of the United States. And I share this privilege with other pastors, with ship captains, with judges, with justices of the peace. I'm authorized to join two people in a state of marriage, a holy union, an actual legal partnership. But before that big day, the couple must go to the courthouse and obtain the marriage license. Then afterwards, after the ceremony, I must place my signature at the bottom of that marriage license as a testimony to the court, and therefore to all who are concerned about that marriage, that these two individuals are indeed united. Furthermore, two additional witnesses must witness my signature to verify that what I'm signing is actually me. It's the official signature on that marriage license, and two other witnesses will, will verify that. That was also customary in Rome in the day of Jesus, that throughout the empire that all legal documents were signed and sworn. 
that the testify, testify that, to their authenticity. Before John penned his last word in his narrative, he had witnesses there to witness that what he was writing was indeed truth. What he had written down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was the word of God. And he was joined by other witnesses there who saw him sign that and saw that he had indeed penned this narrative. So if we look at verse 24 first, and you'll look at your bulletin insert on the side where it says application. In the top section there is John's seal of authenticity. And there's three points to verify, three facts to verify the authenticity of John's letter. The first one is that every record in the scroll is an eyewitness account, not only to the one of the 12 who John was, but also an eyewitness account who was one of Jesus' closest friends. In fact, five times in his narrative, his letter, his good news, he said, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. He pulled himself out as being that special closeness with Christ beyond all the other disciples. We know that Peter, James, and John were the three closest to the Lord, but John had an even a more special relationship with him. And he wrote, this is the disciple, referring to himself, who was the individual present with Peter and Jesus on that seashore last week, the Sea of Galilee, as they strolled down that seashore. And Jesus was instructing Peter on what his life would be and how it would end. This was the same disciple that was rumored to be alive when Christ returned. And we know that that rumor wasn't indeed fact, but people were so anticipating Christ's return, they thought Jesus meant, well, John would outlive the time when Jesus would be away and he would return. And John told us that that wasn't what Christ said, but he said, if I chose to allow him to live until I return, what is that to you, Peter? And the second fact is, every word contained in the scroll was written by the same eyewitness. He says, I witness everything I'm writing down. I'm not getting it secondhand from someone else. I witnessed every fact that I wrote down. John likely prepared the statement in the first person plural. He says, we know that this testimony is true. And he was including those who was with him that day when he finally finished his narrative and signed his signature at the bottom. He says it included the elders that were present with him as he completed that manuscript. Now, tradition holds that John wrote the gospel, the good news according to John, in Ephesus, in the church of Ephesus. But this was after his time of exile at Patmos. This was at the very end of his life after he was released from Patmos. He went back to the church in Ephesus. And this is where he wrote his good news that he had witnessed over the years. He was a first-hand witness here. Now, John would tell us in the court of law, a first-hand witness is somebody you can rely on because they actually saw what had happened, and that's what John did. The other thing about Church of Ephesus, it was one of the most renowned churches in all of Asia Minor, and it was known for its doctrinal purity, its stronghold to st sticking with the truth because even by the end of the first century, 
there was a lot of error going around about who Jesus was and what he really meant. The third fact for John was that every word contained in this, this scroll was truth. John was not only an eyewitness to every event, he recalled them accurately. He had already known about the other three gospels, the synoptic gospels that were written. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were all similar narrative that mirrored one another. But John's gospel was different. He says, you have those gospels. You know what they say. I'm going to bring it a, the narrative about from a different perspective. He wrote them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He guided, who guided his editorial choices and prevented him from error because we know that all words in God's word is true. And as we move on to verse 25, the final verse in his narrative, he closes it with this editorial caveat. And he does so to perhaps squelch the criticism he knew would be coming. Indeed, every biographer faces. And people would ask him, how could you leave out this fact about Jesus? I think this is so important. Or why didn't you go into more detail about this? Or why is your narrative not in chronological order? Why are you taking snippets here and putting it here? Because John had a special purpose for his narrative that was unlike the synoptic gospels, unlike the other gospels. And let's face it, if your subject is the son of God, you'll have critics lined up for years trying to refute or add to what you're saying, but that John had a specific purpose for his narrative. John affirmed that he was selective about the events he included, but he was not only selective, he was very strategic on how he wrote them down, the order that he put them in. John did not intend to provide an exhaustive or even an exhausting account, but his case was this, and we're told in John chapter 20, verse 31, this is his whole purpose for writing his narrative, his gospel. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That was his purpose for writing his gospel. Besides, it was impossible, as he tells us, even if the whole world would be filled with books, it would not be enough to tell about everything about God and his relationship with Christ. And our knowledge of Christ will never be exhausted because Christ is God and God is infinite. So rather than try to describe every detail of Jesus' earthly ministry, John paints a compelling portrait of Christ. If you look on your other side of your bulletin insert, that picture of Jesus, this is called a mosaic. And it's made up of tiny snapshots. You can see, clearly see the image of Christ there, but that image is made up of little pictures of Jesus' life. And this is what John did. He created a mosaic with his narrative, with his gospel, of little images of Christ that were not necessarily even in chronological order because he wanted to tell his story in a specific way. So he created this image of Christ from just snippets of his lifetime with him. Remember, John spent over three years with Christ every single day, learning from him, absorbing his words. And then he penned those words late in his life after he had seen so much more. Like many other things in our realm of existence, John's narrative was limited. Everything here was the least of what we'll have in our life to come. 
Therefore, John was content to write only what was necessary to bring his readers to believe in Christ. That was his sole purpose, to bring his believers to believe in Christ. He was thrilled to have them learn about the Son of God firsthand by his narrative, and that was accomplished. So if you want an exhaustive knowledge of God, this God-man Jesus, it will only come with our belief in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And it will take us an eternity to learn of him. But if you deeply desire that, it will come. As we're told in Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 through 5, no longer will there be a curse on anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. What we're going to learn in our next series, will be a shorter series, is our rule and reign with Christ. And Revelation tells us right at the end that part of our purpose as fellow citizens of God's kingdom, eventually, once he restores his global Eden, is to help rule or manage that global Eden here on earth. As we look at the application for these two verses today, if you flip back to your other side of your bulletin insert, the section it says the final questions. This was John's final chapter. John's gospel, in a sense, is unfinished. You say, unfinished? Isn't every word of God true? But John wasn't intending to write a complete historical narrative of Christ's life. So he left part of it unfinished in this way. Yes, the Holy Spirit directed him to express exactly what God wanted in his gospel, but it does remain incomplete. And the reason it remains incomplete is because you and I are fulfilling that mission of, God, of John that he wrote down. Our lives are part of that building of God's kingdom of telling others of Christ. So the story is only being fulfilled completely through our lives. Through the ages from the time John wrote this until Christ returns in that last day to restore his global Eden, our lives are fulfilling the gospel. And our lives are integral. Do we take it serious enough? That is a question we must ask ourselves. John concludes his account about Christ's earthly ministry with a story about he and his friend Simon were walking along the seashore with Jesus the week before or the, the, the last week's message, I should say. And their life stories were set in motion that day. Christ told Peter that eventually you will be martyred. You will be crucified. You will fulfill your Christ purpose. And John lived so long that people wondered if he would ever die, if maybe Christ would return before he would die. And they both had destinies to fulfill. As far as we know, John was the longest living apostle, one of the few, if maybe the only one that was not martyred, that probably died a natural death. And both had destinies to fulfill. And Jesus urged them on that message last week. He said, you keep following me. And so it is with you, and so it is with me. I encourage us all to follow him. So I have a few questions to ask as we close out this message. What will you do 
with what you've seen in the pages of John's Gospel. What is the most essential requirement and the most risk in this world once we're exposed to biblical truth? God expects us to act on that biblical truth. We who live in the light have no business trafficking in the darkness. We have learned the truth by abiding through John's gospel, by washing feet, by resting, by being holy and dedicated even unto death. How will your life change now that we've gone through the entire gospel of John? How will it impact your consciousness on a daily basis? How will your life help to build God's kingdom? Secondly, what is your part in the redemptive plan for the world? God had planned for John and Peter's, not merely because they were one of the 12, but specifically because they were Christ followers. He was, they were both called out of their old life, given a new life, and then commissioned to build God's kingdom. And we are the same. If we've asked Christ to, to be our Savior, then we become citizens of God's kingdom. And as citizens of God's kingdom, our primary responsibility in this world is to build God's kingdom. We do it through various means, depending on what season of life we're in. If you're retired, you still have a purpose. If you're working actively, you have a purpose. If you switch jobs, you still have a purpose. It's not so important what you're doing. It's important that you're using what you're doing to build God's kingdom. And that is what's crucial. Ask him to reveal what your role, his role and his plan is for your life in this season of life. Just as the seasons change, we have winter, spring, summer, and fall. So our lives will change. And each season of life brings us a new opportunity to build God's kingdom. And the third question, how much hardship are you willing to bear for the sake of Christ? Now, earlier in John's Gospel, in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21, Jesus warned that if you're truly living for the kingdom of God, you may suffer persecution in life. We've been spared so much of that in our country, and praise God for that. But you may run, if you stand strong for Christ, you may run into antagonism and those that want to treat you harshly. But that shouldn't stop us from proclaiming God's new, good news, for living a life that reflects Jesus Christ. We know that Peter was martyred. We know that John was exiled to minister alone long after most of his friends died. Life as we live it may not be as manageable as we want it to be. We might run into hardship. We might run into difficulties, whether it's financially, whether it's loss of loved ones. There will be times where it's difficult. It's times to difficult to reflect Christ, but we're to do so. And the exciting part of this is as citizens of God's kingdom, we're called to assist him in building his kingdom. The Lord's promise, and we learned in John, is to launch our life story, if we'll let him. And that's the purpose of the Gospel of John, to bring other people to belief in Christ. And that's the summary for it. Now, we've taken a year to absorb the good news, according to John the Apostle, I pray you've enjoyed it as I have. And next week, we're going to start a shorter series. And it reflects, what is our purpose here on earth? What is our life story? And the overall theme of the next eight to nine weeks is going to be, 
What does God want? Have you ever just stepped back and thought, well, I know we're supposed to live according to principles, but why did God create us to begin with? Why does he allow certain things to happen in our lives? What does God want? And we'll cover from Genesis through being a disciple of Christ, through the Gospels and a disciple of Christ, in short series. Obviously, we're just in that overview, a very quick overview, but we want to really drill in to what does God want of us. And although the passage won't have any fixed scripture like we've gone through John chapter by chapter and verse by verse, I would encourage you to read Job chapter 38 verses 4 through 7 and Genesis chapter 1 verses 27 and 28 in preparation for next week's message. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for this good news that John wrote for us. We thank you for this time we've spent We've actually invested, Father, into going through the book of John, to learning from you, learning about Christ. We thank you that we are siblings of Christ in a spiritual sense, that he, we have been adopted as your children into your family. We thank you for the snippets that John through your Holy Spirit directing them, wrote down that we might have the good news of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. We thank you for your many blessings that you allow us to have. Help us to those blessings be poured through us, Father, to impact everyone that we come in contact with. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's Word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously. Lead with integrity and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.